I am Citizen 44. This show is sponsored by Luna Sushi, Ho Chi Minh City's number one sushi delivery restaurant. Incredible. I actually live above the restaurant. They deliver to all districts, and I've got to tell you, the food is excellent. It's as good a quality of sushi as anything I've had in the States or here in Ho Chi Minh City. The menu's vast. It's delicious. Luna Sushi. Lunasushi.com. You are listening to Citizen 44 with Mark Aronsberth, live from Ho Chi Minh City, Vietnam. Hey everybody, Mark Ahrensberg here. Welcome to Citizen 44. This is show number 91. On today's show, we have Nick DePue. Nick is a singer-songwriter, music business guy, currently lives in Southern Oregon. He's from Southern California. I met Nick at the Church of Divine Transformation in Ashland, Oregon. That is the church slash world-class recording studio run by my friends Sylvia Massey and Chris Johnson, the good Reverend Chris Johnson. Also on the show after a very long time is Rich Reese. Yeah, Rich Reese. Show number three was Rich Reese, and Rich Reese and I became very good friends, roommates, and uh, he became the producer of my show for, I don't know, a year or two. We haven't spoken really since I moved to Vietnam nine months ago. So we've got Rich on a Zoom call, get to see each other and have a little fun catching up. Looking forward to sharing that with you. One year ago today, November 30th, 2019, my adorable mother passed away in Los Angeles, California, Uh, more precisely in Encino, California. I remember the day like it was yesterday. I was living with Rich at the time, cleaning up the upstairs and listening to some incredible music on Pandora, just a kind of a random shuffle thing. Some of the greatest songs I've ever heard, some of my favorite music of all time. The phone rang and I knew that it was a call coming in from my sister, letting me know that my mom had passed from cancer. So I actually created a show from that set list. I wrote down all the songs at the time that were playing because they were so phenomenal. And uh, that turned out to be show number 80, which is a memorial tribute to my mother who actually died at 80. Just serendipity that show number 80 and that she passed at 80. So I invite you to listen to that show, a tribute to my mom, show number 80. She was such a big part of this podcast and was in probably three quarters of my shows. Such a funny lady and willing to participate. I mean, my father too, he's on several shows and the show's not been the same without her, of course. And uh, I love that I have that cemented in uh, history through these digital recordings. Anybody can listen to my mom anytime they want. It's really nice that I have this historical reference of my mom and the relationship that we shared through the podcast. And uh, yeah, Vietnam is great. Going into December here, it's winter, means nothing. It's still hot, but it's wonderful. Been hanging out a lot with Mr. Hui. We go out to dinner just about every night. 
I got a new job I'm very excited about producing for a company called Balance Animation Studio here in Ho Chi Minh City. So everything's really good. My kids are okay. Val's okay. My dad's okay. My friends seem to be okay. And I'm way more than okay. Okay, here's Rich. What are they worried about? Everything. It's America. Oh, right. That's where I'm not, and you are. What time is it in America? 8.43. Get ready to eat breakfast. What are you going to have for breakfast? A little breakfast burrito. Oh. Did you make it, or did you go to the place? No, I haven't been going there. I made it. Oh, what's in it? Uh, potatoes and Beyond breakfast sausage. Have you seen their breakfast sausage yet? No, is that a new thing? Yeah, check this out. Huh. Oh, oh, I bet it's like the Jimmy Dean patties. It probably tastes amazing. It's unreal. Huh. It's even better than the other sausage. How long has that been on the market? Uh, I think it came out earlier this year. I don't know. You look great. Oh, well, thanks, man. I'm, you know, a lot's going on. Did you sell the house? Yeah, I'm out of here. Not this Monday, but next Monday. Wow. Who bought your house? Oh, these San Francisco people. Yeah. Did you finish the bathroom? Oh, yeah. Was it not done? Mm, I don't think it was totally done. No, it wasn't totally done. Yeah, that's the one good thing I'm going to miss. Check this out. Wow, no, that was not done. None of that sink stuff was done. The tub was in, but yeah, that's right. What's his knucklehead was there? Eight months putting the shower together. What a lovely bathroom. Yeah, it's nice. Yeah, it's nice. How's that tub? Amazing. Uh, I bet you haven't visited the bathroom downstairs for a while. I forgot I even had one. Right. (laughs) What is going on, man? You know, I'm just doing the whole Vietnam thing here in Vietnam, and there's no trouble here. We don't have crazy people doing crazy things every day, all day. And, you know, everybody's walking around with masks for the most part, but they were wearing masks before COVID. So it's not that unusual. However, the reason they were wearing masks pre-COVID That condition is gone, which is disgusting gray skies. Because of COVID, we actually now have beautiful blue skies every day. Silver lining. Yeah, that is the silver lining here. When I got here, it was like Beijing. It was all gray and pretty nasty every day. But now it's quite lovely here. It's very beautiful. So there's that. So what have you been doing this whole time? <laughs> I've been stuck in the same old rut and I'm getting the fuck out of here. Yeah. Are you going to Tennessee close to your boys? I'm looking at buying land, yeah. Have you found anything or you're still in research mode? I got a real estate agent there. Oh, okay. Are you going to go play for a little while first or are you going to just like head over there and hang out? I guess I'm going to go to Tucson and then from there, yeah, I'll go to Nashville and hang out for a bit. How is Mary? She's well, thank you. So how is she doing with the whole COVID thing? He doesn't even give a shit. Yeah. Like, whatever. Yeah. They're just 
held up at home, you know? Yeah. Is your old man still kicking? Yeah, he's fine. That COVID will not kill that guy. He still goes out and takes his dog for a walk with his compromised lungs and his fucked up health. And he will probably outlive everybody, I would imagine, just based on uh, that he is that guy. It's amazing. Fuck COVID. Fuck COVID. <laughs> yeah. Fucking fuck this place. <sighs> I cannot believe how incredible my timing is for getting out of there. And I don't know if you remember, but on the show before I left, I prognosticated that the world was going to get sick and there'd be nothing that we could do about it. And no matter how much money you had, you would not be able to necessarily save yourself. That show came out like January 9th, three days before I left. Do you still have the Jakes? Yeah. How are they? Big Jake's going to go live with my niece in Texas. The dog's going to go with my mom for a while. Oh my God, that is going to be the fucking breakup of a lifetime. Remember this? Oh, is that a nug? Yeah. Wow, look at that. Okay, did I tell you about me and weed here? No. So I meet Leanne on Tinder. She agrees to meet me. I meet her at this rooftop amazing coffee shop overlooking the Saigon River. I see a guy there smoking out of a pipe, like a cool pipe, like an old grandpa pipe. I go, oh, that smells good. He hands it to me. And I smoke it, and it's weed, and it's good weed, and I get super baked. So I'm just standing out there, and I'm watching the Saigon River, and I get a tap on my shoulder, and I know this girl's going to show up like any minute. And she's incredibly cute. And it took me a little while to tell her that I was super baked when we first met. And then I met this guy, Brian, a black guy from Florida, maybe, I think he was. And uh, he had me fucked up for about two weeks. There is some super fucking good weed here. Yeah, they won't kill you like Thailand for fucking having weed on you. Like the Philippines. Yeah, you're not supposed to deal it here, but it's here, and people smoke it in coffee shops. This is more Amsterdam than Ashland. That's great. Yeah, and I got to tell you, as much as people talk shit about communism, this place is amazing. You literally can do anything you want here. So I'm not going anywhere. I have no intention of returning, by the way. There's no reason... My kids could come here and visit me when all this stupid shit is over. Yeah. You look good. You look healthy. I do yoga now three to four times a week when the gym closed. Oh. So that's the thing. Mia is a hot yoga teacher, so I've been doing hot yoga, and it's been great. Where are you doing that? One of the rooms I put heaters in and made it hot. You mean the one I lived in? Yeah. <laughs> that makes a great hot yoga room. Oh, I bet it does. Did you take the bed out? Sold it. You sold the bed? <laughs> I loved that room, by the way. I like the dungeon. The dungeon was good for me. That was a good room. Yeah. I'm glad you got rid of your house. I'm glad that you're moving in a direction. Yeah, man. Love you, brother. Good to catch up with you. Yeah, man. Tell your mom I said hello. Tell the Zemed brothers I said hello. And if you happen to talk to Mitch, give him my best. Good to see you. All right, man. Take care. Peace out. Peace out, brother. Can 
doing nick doing okay it's uh interesting times but otherwise doing okay <laughs> you're still in ashland oregon yeah no i actually live over in klamath falls did you always live in klamath falls and were you just visiting ashland yeah as long as we've known each other yeah okay yeah so i'd go over for like a week at a time or i'd go over for a few days at a time and you know hang out there and then come back over here and then come back a couple weeks later and okay cool What's going on with you? I know your latest record has been out for a while, right? Yeah, it came out uh, December 6th. The music project is called Relevant Discord? Correct. Folks out there, if you're Bush fans, you're going to love this guy's music. Where can people find your music? RelevantDiscord.com is the website. Then every social media handle is the at Relevant Discord thing, but it's on Spotify, Pandora, iTunes, wherever you consume music in the digital world anymore. You can find it there. For a while, you were playing out, things were happening for you, and then the hammer came down. Yeah, everything with COVID really shut so many things down. I know for everybody, I didn't have any like touring or anything set up there, but I was trying to work on a uh, streaming, like what everyone kind of turned to in this was an actual streaming kind of interaction thing where I could do stuff from home and do stuff from small venues leading up to this. And I was starting to just test some projects out with that. And then all of a sudden COVID hits. And then the first week I'm like, well, great, I'm ahead of the curve. Then like three days later, everyone and their cousins doing a live Instagram concert or a live Facebook concert, and then you just got buried in the mix again. It's a thing I actually did in uh, 2012. I did like a virtual tour with the company Stage It that's now kind of had a resurgence because of COVID. And I wrote up a guest article for the music distributor CD Baby about the whole process of working with them on it. It was a fun time, but it was kind of ahead of the curve back then where people were like, what's a streaming thing? You're playing from home and no one's going to watch that. <laughs> you post a lot of stuff on Instagram. I've listened to you play numerous times. I think mostly you were doing cover stuff and uh, your skills, your chops are amazing. Your voice is great. Your guitar playing is really excellent. And... Uh, I'm a fan of the relevant Discord. I'm a fan. We met at, uh, I almost said Radio Star. That's so funny. We have that connection too. That's where I met Sylvia Massey. It was down at Radio Star. I've recorded two singles down there, The Days of the Ferment and The Refrain, down at Radio Star. Okay, so you know about that amazing venue. Oh yeah, I recorded with Rich Beltrop down there. And I was going to work with Joe Hayes, who I work with now. Doug and I work with Joe Hayes on the Naked in Public recording, so we share some interesting parallel experiences. Yeah, that studio was an incredible place. So many stories. Did you play the festival? You guys were on the bill too, right? Yeah, Doug yeah. and I played that for and 20 Festival. We played a couple of venues. Yeah, that was fun. It was a very strange experience for sure. First year was pretty good. Second year got strange, but we'll leave it at that. <laughs> We're talking about Sylvia Massey, world-renowned producer, engineer, extraordinaire, and we've been fortunate enough to work with. She's now in Ashland, Oregon at the Church Divine and uh, doing her thing there, and you recorded with her there as well? 
I actually recorded with Joe Hayes there. Toby was out of the country or traveling at the time. Toby and I have reconnected a number of times leading up to the project. And uh, that's where I met Chris officially. It was like probably a couple summers ago, even though I know he was a part of the Radio Star crowd. Met them and I came back and reconnected with Sylvia after knowing her several years ago. And then said, yeah, I think I want to come and record here. I was about to leave a day job. and I knew I wanted to work for myself and uh, get back into music. Yeah. So Sylvia was involved to that degree of kind of say, yeah, come on over, get in touch with Chris. Joe and I had been working together for a few years on different projects, and we've always wanted to get in the same studio room together and make it happen. So Joe flew in twice. We did uh, November of 2018 and then February of 2019 at Studio Divine there in Ashland and made it happen for that Traverse record, but it's the newest one. Cool. Where did Nick DePew start? I entered the planet in Santa Monica, California in 1979. Ah, you're <laughs> yeah. from Southern California. Cool. 79, you came just before the best time, I think, in the history of the world, the 80s. Yeah. <laughs> what were the early years for you in Santa Monica? How close to the beach were you? Well, born in Santa Monica, but actually lived a little bit further in, in Mar Vista, Culver City, right on the edge there off of Washington Place, between that and Venice Boulevard. Were you by Tito's Tacos? Yeah, just like three blocks from it. Oh my God, I envy your living location. <laughs> yeah, I was like three or four blocks west of Tito's Tacos. Are you a Tito's fan? Honestly, as kids, we didn't get there too often, but our next door neighbors would get it all the time. I think we've had them a couple times. Then my sister's gone recently back to LA and she's gotten the line and everything. She's like, we had to get Tito's now. So <laughs> as kids, we were kind of picky eaters, so we didn't really get it that much. We'd had it a couple times. My uncle had a flower shop on the corner of La Tierra and Manchester, and he would drive from there to Tito's and get tacos for like 20 people in the flower shop. I have fond memories of that place. Yeah, even though I didn't really eat there, we still have fond memories driving past, seeing all the people, buy tons of tacos. You know? Yeah. <laughs> we weren't allowed to ride our bikes to Tito's Tacos when we were that young. That was too far away. So. <laughs> what was it like growing up in SoCal for you? Mostly good experience. Just a typical growing up. Went to a couple different schools based off where we were at the time and uh, went to a little place about five or six blocks away from where we lived. How did you do in school? Were you a good student? Yeah, I was one of those overachiever people. Ah, <laughs> little Alex P. Keaton yeah. thing going on. Do you understand that reference? Oh, yeah, I left the briefcase at home, but, uh, you know, <laughs> Family Ties was definitely one we watched a lot. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> What high school did you go to? We moved up to Southern Oregon in 1991. That's when I was going into junior high school. Okay. So that was uh, over in the Klamath Falls area. I went to Henley Junior High School, Henley High School. And how was the transition and shift from Southern California to the Southern Oregon area for you? It was crazy. At first, when we were living in LA, my sister and I, because my mom was from England, my dad was from here, so we every other summer we'd alternate where we go on a vacation. So one summer we'd come up to the Klamath area and kind of travel around Southern Oregon for about two weeks when we had vacation time. And then the alternating summer, we'd fly over to England for like a month. So we were thinking about moving to Southern Oregon. It's like, oh, it's like vacation time. So we finally get up here. We came right after the school year ended in June. Still felt like that summer we'd kind of known. And then all of a sudden, I remember suddenly I'm at a school bus stop, like in my first week or two, it's cold all of a sudden versus Southern California. <laughs> I remember having this real moment of like, we're not going back this time. I felt it was vacation before then reality set in there. And it was kind of like, oh, wow, what did we just do? I very much wanted to go back to L.A., the big city. It was nice to go back and visit and kind of be a part of it. There's still a lot of nostalgia down there that I've really grown to appreciate. Places can get to like walk up and down the streets. 
know your neighbors and it's not just a constant traffic, 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 traffic type of thing. Right. What did your dad do for a living or what did he do at the time? He worked for the Postal Service for 40 years. Wow. He did 25 years in Venice, California and then uh, 15 up here in Corona. So he's retired? Yeah, he retired in uh, 2007 or 8. So he's been retired for a while now. Okay. What was your mom doing when you were growing up? She was mostly a stay-at-home mom, but my sister and I went to a religious private school. It was kind of close by, and, and my mom was affiliated with a church at that time. So she kind of became like a teacher's aide for us, a couple of classes, not our specific classes. Did you come from a religious family? My mom was. My dad wasn't, really. How did that play yeah. out for you guys? They had their moments where they definitely butted heads. <laughs> Are they still married? Yeah, they're still married, and uh, they're actually here in Klamath as well. So. Uh, cool. So you spent yeah. a lot of time in church as a kid, yeah? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then interestingly enough, you end up back in church recording. Yeah, it's kind of full circle. <laughs> yeah. Now spring from 
the music thing start yeah the music thing didn't start for me really until uh like as a kid especially in a religious environment you're always giving you some little choir some school elementary thing so you do things of that nature and i could sing a little bit and i was terrified to open my mouth publicly and then growing up kind of in a religious atmosphere we didn't have a lot of exposure to secular bands or things of that nature and then the death of kurt cobain was really that triggering point that really just kind of woke me up to that movement I was a freshman in high school at the time, and I remember sitting in class and seeing the news on the classroom news thing called Channel One. The news anchors like Anderson Cooper and Lisa Ling were like the hosts of that program at the time. It was like, Kurt Cobain has died. I remember hearing the whole class gasp and horror. Oh my God, no, no, no. And I was aware of Pearl Jam and Nirvana a little bit before that. See people wearing the t-shirts in the hallways and stuff, but I didn't really know the music well. And then just seeing how much that moment really moved so many people of my age, like their soul was ripped out and heartbroken. And then from that, a couple of my friends really started getting into it and introducing me to that music. So from there, it's like I just started really relating to the Nirvana albums. And from there, a year or two later, Dave Grohl puts out the first Foo Fighters record, and I picked that up, and I was in love with that. And then I found the Bush album really close, you know, that time frame, too. It was kind of that perfect blend for me with the guys from Bush being from the UK and having a lot of UK background myself and spending a lot of time over there. The UK meets this grunge thing I was in love with. So for me, it was like this perfect confluence of like two things I love, but I know Bush got a lot of pushback in the States at the time, like, oh, they're just a Nirvana ripoff or they're whatever. But for me, they became one of my favorites at the time, absolutely. So from there, I became more introduced to things through high school. Toward the end of high school, I saw a couple of friends were picking up guitar at the end of my junior year and said, yeah, that looks really fun. I bet I could do that. And my mom had an acoustic at home and I uh, just picked it up and kind of messing around. And that song from Bush Machine had I wonder if I could figure that out. I'm kind of like just sounding it out and like, hey, I could do this. I can sound out these sounds. I can recreate these sounds. And there was a couple guys from our high school. They started a band. They did a lot of Metallica covers. And I wasn't really that much into Metallica, but just seeing them do it, it was like, wow, they can really do something well. And then I saw that they started to write stuff. So I'm like, well, maybe I could write some little riffs. It started flowing quickly from about the age of 16 through 17, 18. I started writing music and got into college at 17. And, um, on my lunch breaks, I'd just take a notebook with me and just start scribbling down thoughts and ideas, and I already had these little riffs in my brain, and I finally just started piecing this line with that together, flip over a few pages, and those lines set with this sound, and just kind of went uphill, downhill from there, depending on your perspective. So. <laughs> I'm a huge Bush fan, and I don't compare Bush to anybody. I thought Bush was pretty much a standalone, and I found it interesting that you were influenced by Bush. What did you end up doing with your music? 
back in, was it 97, 98? So I was uh, finishing the senior of high school, going to freshman to college, and I started putting together what would become my first solo record. And I, I'd written about 12 songs, and I knew that I wanted to record them somehow. But in the late 90s, it was really hard to fathom, okay, how do I go and record that? Not everyone's got this whole laptop system in their bedroom. You still had to go somewhat of a studio route unless you really knew some people. So I kind of put it on the back burner, but I always knew I wanted to do it. So I started college for uh, anthropology, actually, and I loved that field. But then it was kind of always in the back of my mind. I still wanted to do this music thing. I was still writing. I went to our local college here. It's called Oregon Tech, Oregon Institute of Technology. Went to Oregon State for my second year, which I know your daughter is going to Oregon State, right? Correct. So actually now I remember you posted photos with the two of you standing in front of that Waldo Hall. So I had a lot of classes in Waldo Hall there. I loved Oregon State, but it turned into a one-year thing where I had some grant money. It was there one year, but it wasn't going to be there the next year. And I was kind of that summer after the sophomore year, I was just like, oh, what do I do? What do I do? I love music, but I, I don't know if I can stay at Oregon State. The money's not there to do it. I had basically full ride to come back to Oregon Tech here in Klamath if I came back. So I came back and was looking through the course catalog of what to do. And they had just started a business program for entrepreneurship and small business management. And instantly that clicked with me as well. And I'm like, well, hey, what if I become my own music business? What if I start figuring out how this stuff works? How does a record label work? How does a publishing company work? My senior project was creating a business plan for formulating a record label. In the process, I ran into some people that I knew that had a garage version of a uh, basic demo studio. So I said, hey, can I work with you? And it's kind of a search for people that we knew at the time. They said, well, yeah, we won't charge you a lot as long as you buy a piece of equipment or two to help benefit the studio, you know, a couple hundred bucks investment. And they gave me the free run to just kind of roll with it. And so I thought of engineering my own record and everything, which was something I do not like doing anymore. <laughs> I'm not an engineer, but I got 12 songs recorded there on a solo album that was under my own name, Nick DePew, but I actually called it Relevant Discord as far as the title of the album. And I kind of always figured, well, it's a good name if I would ever like turn this into a band situation. So if I don't think of anything else or if that name sticks down the road and I keep doing this, then I'll maybe pick that name up again. So. I put that record out. I recorded it in 2000, 2001. Had it sit for a while through the whole September 11th thing, whatever, things got delayed. Had someone else help with mixing and got someone in Portland to master it. There's so many flaws in that, but we start somewhere. And I put that out and that just kind of became my first step into like the actual recording stuff. And at that point in time, I had never publicly performed either. That was kind of a scary thing to do. I was still terrified to open my mouth. I recorded all the vocals by myself in the back room with this church building thing they had. And it's kind of like this garagey setup. And here I am just like, okay, hit record and I hope no one's watching. <laughs> then that next year, suddenly after having a record out, it's like, okay, I need to actually start playing. So I started doing a couple little like coffee shop events and then wound up opening for like a larger religious act that the people had known. It was a terrifying experience. Did a demo record a year after that with just a couple songs in the garage again. And then I set it down for uh, about seven years, I think. And then I think it was around 2008, I kept visiting with a couple that he had toured with Heart, and um, he was a live musician in a lot of different bands. But he and his family spent some time in the Southern Oregon area, specifically in Klamath, and his son's a phenomenal drummer. And he's like, yeah, you want to do demo stuff? Think at our garage, do you want to come over here to our house and get this thing set up? And I'd written all these new songs under this band moniker now. I'm like, okay, this relevant Discord name keeps coming back to my brain. So I started over years and years just writing more songs which I consider to be a half-decent ones at this point in time, instead of like the learning curve of albums before that were just, you know, you're learning. From there, we did a little de five-song demo in his back shed garage studio. Had a son drum on it, and, uh, and that actually became the introduction to Sylvia's team. 
We were trying to get that out there for a year or so. Just putting a demo out is not going to cut it if you want to try to get your name out there in front of a label. Or like, okay, how do we get known? Well, demo work is great in certain respects, but anymore, it's like most people, especially now, it's like you can't really put a demo out per se. The person's ears are trained to something at least halfway, you know, well-produced on Spotify or Pandora. So I kind of came to a moment working with some people that, even though I wasn't in that kind of religious environment anymore, I still had a lot of friends that had some connections in it and actually established themselves pretty well in the music world. And um, that actually hit Billboard and a number of those places. So I asked them and said, hey, I really need to do this right or just pack it up and go home. I said, do you know of any studios? When they were here in town and visiting, and one of these people was one of my sister's best friends. And uh, her husband's like, yeah, we know a guy. Talked to his drummers. I was like, oh, yeah, there's this place in Weed, California called Radio Star. He's like, you look it up. I'm like, Weed, California? Can't be. <laughs> you know? So on a whim, I just sent an email to the general contact, which was Sylvia at the time. It was like December 10th of 2010 at this point in time. And just said, hey, I'm kind of interested. I see you've got this thing. Because I looked it up and I'm like, holy crap, here's this person whose work I know. I own those few records. I own that tool record. I own this one. So I sent out a stab in the dark kind of email and she responded back like within the hour. It's a little demos from like MySpace at the time. And I said, you know, this is what I kind of want to do, but I want to record it professionally. And she said, these are some really great songs. We'd love to have you come in and work on this. And that kind of started the whole ball rolling. And I don't put stuff out at as fast as a lot of people do. I've got a ton of material written that's under the relevant Discord moniker and that kind of band name. It's just hard financially making it all work like a lot of musicians. But that started the process, what I considered this next chapter of music. There was the first chapter with like the solo work and just really finding out what I wanted to do. Chapter two became relevant Discord officially where it's, okay, we have to take it to professional studios and work with professionals. Even though we've done a couple of low-fi things, but having worked with Sylvia, which felt we do the first two songs, working with Joe Hayes and becoming a good friend with Joe and having him remix those songs from uh, that time and then going back with him a couple years ago and we've become super close friends. He takes everything we do now, we record it, he gives me alt mixes, then he does his full-blown remixes. We start with that Bush live Nirvana feel, and then we add these elements of Nine Inch Nails, industrial things onto it. Where did relevant Discord come from? Looking at a lot of imagery, it was kind of just like ideas and thoughts, and uh, I think those couple words made it in there a few times. My first cover was the naked aspen tree with this winter sunset behind it and just gave me this picture of this chaotic thing in front of just seeing this beautiful sunset behind it. I wanted something that was honest and genuine, spoke of a beauty and a sense of purpose beyond the chaos, relevance in the midst of discord. And then from that, the meaning evolved a little bit into sometimes you need to have that little voice of dissent in the midst of, we're all flowing this way, but maybe someone needs to speak up because maybe that's not the right direction. A lot of what I write about was very deep and personal lost, despair, grief. And sometimes I would tell stories, wanting people to find these hopeful moments that we can grab onto in the midst of all this chaos and destruction and all these hard things that we go through. How do your songs come to you? Guitars are first. By and large, it's a guitar riff. On one record, we tried to write one piano-based song just to stretch my skills. I'm not a piano player, but I can tinker something out, like whether it was Hurt or the Fragile album, where they had these little piano tracks in between it called The Frail. Just learning how to play bits and pieces like that, where I wanted to incorporate something of that element into it. What are you working on now? Yeah, so right now, with COVID, things have been a little bit on the back burner. So I started the record label for my own stuff. Through COVID, I've been working with sync licensing things, trying to get the music into some film opportunities and I'm getting the couple of new songs off. 
have an agency that's going to represent them now. So we're going to work on getting some of that into some film placement. A little bit of artist development, just kind of being a, a coach for musicians that need some understanding of the basics of business, teaching the basics of, hey, this is how you get your copyright going. This is how you trademark your band. This is how you get your publishing through BMI and ASCAP so that you can do live performances and claim some royalties on it. And really give them that basics of business. I'm a music nerd. I like the business side of it, where most musicians are terrified of that type of thing. Well, it's cool that you offer that to people because there's probably amongst artists a lot of ignorance in that area because people just want to play music and don't really understand the back end of all that. Yeah, talent's one thing, but it's so much luck in this music industry. And I know people that we both know would say the same thing. It's like, you can have some great songs too, but with the oversaturation of the market, you can have a fantastic tune. But when Spotify is putting out close to 40,000 songs every single day, ultimately it's so much that's going to get lost. So you just have to find these other channels to get your name out there, whether it's social media, playing live where you can. I know right now it's tough to play live. Build your brand the way you can build it. And then also just ask yourself, what does success really look like for you? All right, so tell us again, Nick, how to find your music. Yeah, so it's Relevant Discord, Discord, D-I-S-C-O-R-D. It's relevantdiscord.com. There's the links to everything on there, albums on there, but it's on all the social media sites at Relevant Discord. And then on Spotify, Pandora, Apple Music, iTunes, YouTube. Nick, it's been awesome to have you on the show. I appreciate it. You look good. You look happy. And all the best to you, man. You too. It's so good talking to you. You too, man. Take care. That's the show. I hope you enjoyed it. I want to thank Nick DePew for coming on the show and telling me about his music and his world and connecting it to Southern Oregon for me. And I do love his music. If you're Bush fans, you're going to love Relevant Discord. Relevant Discord. Check him out online. Google it. It's all over the place where there's music and stuff like that. Also want to thank Richie Rich Reese. Good to catch up with him, see him also on a Zoom call, find out where he's headed, what he's doing, all that kind of good stuff. Show number 92 is coming up with Allison Smith. Allison Smith for her second time. The very talented and lovely Allison Smith, who I think is actually living in Mexico again, if I'm not mistaken. I know she was in the Bay Area for a while, but I think she has uh, gone back to Donde Esta La Casa de Pepe. I also want to, of course, thank my mom for me being here. Couldn't do it without you, Mom. Citizen 44 with Mark Ehrensberg is a listener-supported presentation. Thanks so much for listening. Much love. Take care. Bye-bye. This show is produced, engineered, mixed, edited, recorded, and presented to you by Mark Ehrensberg. The song at the beginning of each show is called Nico Beat by Robbie Lindauer. The song Departure Family at the end of each show is by Lucky Doug Fergus. Thank you, Sam, Zoe, and Val. This show is sponsored by Luna Sushi, lunasushi.com. This show is dedicated to the memory of Ian Crawford. Whatever you're doing is not working, 
there's one way you can change that, and that's to change what you do, 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 change what you